And welcome to the Rashi Share coming from the Mizrahi Bet Midrash in Melbourne, Australia. We will not be starting with the Rashi of the Week because we now have the new five minute Rashi podcast, which will come out in Hashem every Wednesday. That's my plan. So look out, it'll come in the same podcast feed as the regular one. And uh, hopefully that will be a nice way to help you prepare for Shabbat by learning Rashi. Now, we were in Perik Dalit, Pasuk Dalit. And the story so far is that Cain and Hevel have been born. Um, that was the start of their lives, really. And then they brought offerings. And Rashi said that Cain's offering was not as nice as Hevel's. And now we read in Pasuk Dalit, That's what we learned last week, that Hevel brought nice stuff. And then the Pasuk says, Vayisha Hashem el Hevel ve'el minchato. And Rashi has to tell us what Vayisha means. And I think we can say quite simply that uh, we don't know what the word means because it's not clear. So Rashi tells us, and he says in Pasuk Dalad, Vayisha Vayifen, and he turned. So it means Hashem turned to Hevel and to his offering. And in the next pasuk, it says, lo which Rashi says here, it means he didn't turn. So let's look at the words of Rashi. He turned. That's what means. And similarly, that's the one in the very next pasuk. To Cain's offering, he did not turn. That's what means. Lo says Rashi. And then he gives other examples of where we find this expression, meaning to turn. And similarly, the El Yishu in Shemot Hei Tet, they should not, well, we'll see what that means in a minute. Rashi says here, Lo Yifnu, they should not turn. And then he brings a Pasuk from Eov, She'ei Me'alav, he has turned from him. Part of Eov's, I can say, moaning about the state of the world, the situation of the world, things have gone bad. That's basically what Eov is, one long moan. And that's what he says when he says, She'ei Me'alav means panat me'alav, he, Hashem, has turned from him. And then Rashi gives us a more practical understanding of what actually Vayashat meant in this particular case. Now, there is a problem which all the Mephoshim of Rashi turned to, because Rashi quoted the Pasuk in Shemot, and the story is in Perak Hay, Pasuk Tet of Shemot, Moshe has gone to see Paro for the first time and says... Let my people go. No, he doesn't say that. He never said that. He said, let my people go, but they may serve me. A crucial difference, which is often forgotten. And Paro is not impressed. In fact, this first meeting is an absolute disaster. And Paro's response is, in Pasuk Tet, al ha'anashim. The work should be made heavy on the people. And they should do it. al yishu sheker. And they should not yishu in words of falseness. Now, Rashi here has said that means lo yifnu, they should not turn. But Rashi there in Shemot, Perak Hei Pasuk Tet, goes on at length to say it cannot mean they should not turn. In other words, the meaning that he gives here in, the, in Bereshit, referring to the same Pasuk, is completely contrary to the meaning he gives here in Shemot. So how do we handle this? So the Mizrahi wants to say that it's a told so far, it's a scribal mistake in our text of Rashi. It shouldn't say um, al-Yishu, which refers to the Pasuk in Shemot, 
but it should say um, a different pasuk. I forget exactly which one, um, which is similar but different and clearly means, uh, sorry, lo yesha, which is a pasuk in Yeshaya, yud zayin chet. So by changing the vav into a hey, actually and changing the al into lo, we get to a different pasuk, which Rashi there in Yeshaya says, do not turn. So that would be good. The only problem is, this isn't the only place that Rashi brings this pasuk in Shemot as an explanation of what Sha'ah means. And he says this pasuk in Shemot shows that it means um, to turn. And if the Mizrahi were right that we have to change the Girsa here, we'd have to change it in other places as well. And that's unlikely. So in order to understand this a little bit better, we need to know a little bit more about what Rashi says in Shemot. So again, the Pasuk says, Paro says, give them more work, va'al yeshu b'divrei shakya. Now you might think that means, and they, the Jews, should not turn to false words. In other words, they shouldn't be occupied by this nonsense about not working or being free. That's divrei shaker, and uh, they shouldn't even pay any attention to that. They shouldn't turn to those ideas. And Rashi says, it can't mean turn because of the bet in b'divrei shaker. If it had been a lamad, al-yeshu l'divrei shaker, or uh, the word el, al-yeshu el-divrei shaker, then it could have meant they should not turn to false words. But because of the bet, it doesn't make sense to say they should not turn in false words. So Rashi says here it means they should not think about, they should not cogitate on false words. And al-yeshu, he proves, must mean they shouldn't think about in false words. So, how do we deal with the contradiction of Rashi himself about what this word means in Shemot, what he says here in Shemot, and what he says here in Bereshit? So, the best possible answer, I think, that I saw, is to say that Rashi really means, really thinks that Al-Yeshu means do not turn, if it's followed by the right letter, namely, Alamad. If it's followed by a bet, it has to mean something else. And if you read Rashi's comment on Shemot with that sort of direction, then it comes out okay. What he's sort of saying, it's it's a little bit uh, of a stretch, but I think it's legitimate. What he's saying in Shemot is the normative, the default translation of Al-Yeshu is do not turn. But it can't mean that here in this particular case only because of the next letter. Therefore, I, Rashi, have to give you another explanation. But in its heart, if you like, at its core, Al-Yeshu means do not turn, which is the same as it means in Bereshit. And that's why he quotes the Pasuk in Shemot, because on its own, without the next word, the normal position would be do not turn. It just so happens that because of Badiv Reshakir, it has to be explained differently in Shemot. Okay. Any questions? No, let's move on. So then Rashi says, Vayasha, repeats the word. He's already said what it means is uh, Vayifen, Hashem turned. And then he says, Yarada Eish Valachacha Minchato. Fire descended and literally licked up his offering. In other words, it got burnt. Now, why do you think Rashi has to say that? Let me turn it over to you. What is this, what's necessary? Well, I'll tell you what happens in the next passage. Um, Kain gets really upset. Well, how do we know how Hashem accepted or not accepted? Oh, how do we know or how does... How do, how do they know? How do they know? Kain how does Kain know? Yeah. So Kain has to see something. So Hashem turning sounds pretty sort of abstract, something that we don't perceive. 
But if it's Hashem doing something that can be seen, then Kain can see it for himself. And so that presumably is why Rashi has to say, Fire came down and licked up, consumed his offering, which makes the following pasuk make sense that Kain gets upset that it didn't happen to Hevel's offering and didn't happen to his. And now we have two whole pasukim with no Rashi. So we'll just read what it says. Yes, please. Uh, is it unusual that he split it up into two separate Rashi's with the same different Is it unusual that he split it into two separate with the same different um, I think yes, but it makes perfect sense in this case. Because in the first case, he's giving you the translation of the word. In the second case, he's telling you how that turning was manifest. So they're really two very separate questions. So yes, I think it is, it is unusual, and it's certainly significant, and you're absolutely right to notice the significance, but I think that's the answer. He's really asking two very different questions. One, what does the word mean? And two, how was it seen? So, Pasuk Hay says, And to Kain and to his offering, he did not turn, which we now know means uh, fire didn't come down. And Kain was very upset or cross. And his face fell so he was upset and he looked upset. Pasuk Vav, Vayoma Hashem El Kain. Hashem said to Kain, Lama Charalach, why are you upset? Vallama Naflu Panecha. And why has your face fallen? Cuter jokes about horse walks into a bar and the barman says, Why the long face? Sorry, I just had to say that. But it, it, it really fits here. Okay. Lahavdil El Fail of him. Right. So Hashem says, why has your face... You, know, have, you haven't heard that? Is that new? You had, but it's like... It's oldies but goldies. Okay. So Hashem says, why has your face fallen? And now Pasuk Zion, which Nechama Leibovitz says is the hardest Pasuk in Bereshit, or maybe even the whole Chumash. Certainly in Bereshit. Oh, can I, can I ask yes. Why? I mean, it seems logical for Kain to be upset. I don't know if it's going to be explained. If, it's, if as described, um, um, Hevel's offering was a fire took it over... So why is Hashem kind of asking, why are you upset? Obviously, if it was treated differently, would you assume Kain to be upset? Um, that's a very good question. Let's see if, once we've seen Pasuk Zion, we can go back to that. Because yeah. Pasuk Zion says, Halo im teitiv sa'it ve'im lo teitiv lefeta chatat rovetz ve'elecha teshukato ve'ata timshal bo. Which translated literally means, behold, if you do good, se'it, well, we don't know at the moment what that means, it's, a, it's, a, it's an obscure word, and if you do not do good, at the entrance sin crouches, and to you will be its desire, and you will rule over it. Now, you might be um, forgiven for thinking, what's going on? <laughs> so, Rashi says, Halo imtetev, ketargamo perusho. Like the Targum is its explanation. Now, let's talk for a minute about Rashi's relationship with Targum Onkelos. What is Targum Onkelos? Who was Onkelos? Onkelos, according to the Gemara, was a Ger, the nephew of the Emperor Hadrian, which is like an amazing story because Hadrian was like the Emperor and he was also a fanatical anti Semite. Pardon the anachronism. Uh, and for his nephew to convert to Judaism and to become like the great Onkelos 
was, was an amazing story. So that's what the Gemara says. And it talks all about how um, Adrian sent these guards to, to get Onkelos and bring him back to Rome. And Onkelos, through his persuasion, kept converting them all to Judaism. So Hadrian sort of gave up. Um, but why is that significant? Because it places him chronologically in the era of whom? Anyone? Not, not, you don't have to be precise today, but which group? Tanaim. He's a Tana. So he's got the authority of the Tanaim. That's important. It is the oldest translation of the Chumash that we have. And any translation is by definition an interpretation. So Unculus is an interpretation. Now, uh, Unculus's style is to always translate very literally, like word for word. It's quite easy, actually, to follow Unculus and match up each Hebrew word with each Aramaic word, except in two cases. One is any anthropomorphism. Unculus strives mightily to avoid any personification of Hashem. Hashem smelt, Hashem saw, Hashem walked. Unculus will always translate that figuratively. And the other thing is, sometimes Onkelos will add an extra word or two to help you with the understanding. Now, Rashi assumes that you've read Onkelos because he often says, like he says here, Ketargumo. What the Pshat is like the Targum and he doesn't bother to spell it out. He just assumes you read the Targum because you do. And by the way, there's a mitzvah, it's a halacha on everyone to read the parasha twice and Onkelos once. That's called um, and that's what we all are supposed to do. Um, okay, so having said all that, what does Unculus say in this case? Because as I said, the phraseology and at least part of the vocabulary is very obscure and mysterious. So Rashi points you and says, look, Unculus has got it right. So let's see what Unculus says. Pasuk Zion in the Unculus. Everyone got a, got a copy? Um, we don't normally, in this year, as a rule, read the Unculus. But if Rashi is directing us to, then it becomes part of Rashi. Rashi is basically as like a hyperlink here. Click on here and you go straight to Unculus. Hello im totiv. So that's the translation of hello im tetev, which means be surely if you do good. And then the Hebrew word is sa'et. And Unculus's translation is avadach yishtabek lach. Your deeds will be forgiven for you. So that's the big Chiddush. We'll come to another one in a minute. The uncle says, Sa'it means will be forgiven. Sa'it as in no pesha, as in forgiving of sin. So it could mean other things. Um, I suppose it could mean lifted up, as in naso. Um, spoke the same? Yes. Um, but here says, Unculus, it means forgiven. And Rashi is telling us that's what it means. So what we have here so far is, if you do good, your sins will be forgiven, which basically is the idea of teshuva. There's no more fundamental Jewish idea than that. And here it comes right at the dawn of creation. Hashem is telling Cain that your sins can be forgiven. Now, by the way, I waited for this to answer your question. How am I answering your question? That Rashi was at pains to point out that Cain did not show the same sincerity as Hevel when he brought his offering. And he bought minhagarua, as Rashi said, lowly stuff. So as far as Rashi's concerned, it's obvious that Cain has sinned. Cain has got what to do Teshuvah for. You know, it's, it's appropriate to give thanks to your creator and 
you don't do it with garua, with un, uh, sugbet material. So that is the sin. So that's why he says in Pasuk Zion, you've got to do teshuva, and that's why Hashem is not satisfied with Cain getting cross, because there was a good reason why Hashem did not turn to Cain's offering. So Cain's response by getting cross, when he should have learned the lesson and thought, aha, my offering didn't deserve to be accepted, I've done something wrong, that's what Hashem now adds to the list of, of sins. So continuing in the Unculus, um, so we're up to the, the next word, which corresponds in Hebrew to ve'im lo tetev, ve'im lo totiv, says Unculus. Now, the next words in Hebrew were lepetach katat rovetz, to the entrance sin crouches. Now look what Unculus does. Le'yom, sorry, ve'im lo tetev ovadach. If you're, uh, sorry, if you're not good, your actions, le'yom dina chatach natir, da'atid le'it para, minach, im lo tatuf. No, sorry, um, that's part of the next part, but it's not literal, as we will see in a minute. So, what does he mean by the entrance? He translates that as the day of judgment. To the day of judgment, your sins will be Preserved, natir, guarded, naturi kata. Um, so your sins will, if you don't do teshuva, your sins will still be there till the day of judgment. What is the day of judgment? Well, it might mean techiatametim, some future day of judgment, or it might mean something else, which I'll hold for a minute. And then Onkelos carries on, because in the future you're going to be punished, if you do not do teshuva, and if you do do teshuva, you will be forgiven. And that is Unculus' figurative translation of the last part, where it says in Hebrew, and to you will be its desire. Well, uh, Rashi's going to spell it out a bit more, but it means the desire of sin, or the Sahara. And you can rule over it. Now, Unculus, has, in the last part, has really gone quite far from the literal meaning. Uh, he, Rashi says this is, well, Rashi says this is Pshat, which doesn't have to be the word-for-word word translation. It means that if you, again, according to Unculus, the second part sort of rephrases the first part. If you do teshuva, you'll be forgiven, and if not, um, you will be judged on the day of judgment. And Rashi says, Ketargamo perusha. Now, then Rashi goes on to say the following. On the words, Lepeta chatat rovetz, at the entrance, sin crouches. Says Rashi, lepetach kavarecha. At the entrance of your grave, chatacha shomor. Your sins are guarded. Sorry, to the entrance of your grave. Now, at this point, you have to ask, is Rashi disagreeing with Onkelos, or is he still explaining Onkelos? And the two are possible. Now, it's worth explaining that sometimes Rashi will start off by saying something like he does here, ketargum or perusho. The perush is like the targum, but he doesn't mean totally like the targum. He doesn't mean every word. And Rashi will come back later on in the verse and will say, this is the pshat, we've put the targum on one side. In other words, when he says ketargumo, he means just the first bit of the targum. And that's possible what he's doing here. In other words, the first bit, particularly the translation of the word se'et, well, first of all, two things, sorry. First of all, that it's, it's a binary choice, because you don't have to read the Pasuk as a binary choice. But Rashi is reading it as, im tetev, then se'et, ve'im lo tetev, something else. 
And Onkelos reinforces that. The second thing Onkelos does, which Rashi doesn't need to add anything to, so he clearly accepts it, is translate Sa'it as forgiven. Then Rashi adds what he thinks Petach Hatach Rovetz mean at the entrance, to the entrance sin crouches. And Rashi says to the entrance of your grave. In other words, until you die. Now, is that the same as Yom Dina in the words of Onkelos? Maybe yes. Maybe Onkelos means the day of judgment, i.e. the day of death. And that's the same as Rashi. Rashi's just sort of spelling it out a bit more. Or maybe Onkelos means Yom Dina, the day of some future judgment, like Tehir Tamatim. And Rashi at this point is deviating from that. Two possibilities. It's, it's not 100% clear Rashi's relationship with Onkelos throughout the whole Pasuk. And then Rashi says, to, to you will be its desire. Says Rashi, Shel Chatat, Hu Yetzahara. So, Tushukato, its desire, whose desire? The desire of sin. Uh, sin personified desires you to entrap you. And then Rashi says, just in case, to put it in more familiar terms, Hu Yetzahara. This desire of sin, that is the Yetzahara, that is the evil inclination, which, by the way, is now fully internalized inside the human humanity since Adam and Chava ate from the fruit because before it was outside, Rashi said that. So now, continues Rashi on the word Teshukato, Tamid shokek umitaver lahachshilacha. It constantly desires, and I'm sorry, another word for desires, to cause you to stumble. That is ve'elecha Teshukato. And I think the problem is very simple. It's very hard to understand what those two words mean. To you will be its desire. What desire? Desire of what? And how will that manifest? So Rashi has to explain both those things. What's the it, its desire? It's sin, i.e. Yetzahara. What does it mean it will be desiring you? It means it will try and trap you and make you sin. And then Rashi says on the last words, you will, well, let's see what Rashi says. If you want you will triumph, you will be stronger than it. So again, Rashi has to sort of point out, continuing his theme, that the though, um, Rashi has to say that, what does it mean? You will rule over it. You can rule, you, if you, you, can, uh, you will be stronger than it. Imtitzer, by the way, um, Rashi has to add in, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Look at the words. It sounds like it's one thing. To you will be its desire and you will rule over it. So who's in charge? Have I won or has it won? So Rashi has to point out there's two, there's, there's, there's two conditions, right? There's, there's two options, two different scenarios. And that's introduced by im If you want, now starts a new thing. The atatim shalbo is, is a, a consequence of im and then titkaber alav. Um, and I just wanted to say, how does Rashi get the word titkaber? Because what does Moshel mean? Moshe, Memshelet means ruler. It's a very strong. It, it's a strong form of domination. Moshel is to rule. So Rashi says, you will rule over the Eitzahara, Titkaber, you will be the Gibor, you will be, you will be mightier than it. Any questions? Yes? Is Rashi clarifying as in, is Atatim Shalva, is that Atatim Shalva, is that an order? Or a, like you can... Like it seems that Rashi is saying this is something that could happen, you could rule over it. 
which would mean that like maybe you couldn't roll over or is it like you have to roll over that's a very interesting question um I think from the Lashon of Rashi, it's definitely a good idea and definitely something you should do, but not a command because im um, I, I, I can't second guess Rashi, but maybe if it were a command, it would be something like um, you have the power and you must or, or, or something. But im sounds like it's an option, but obviously the preferred option. Yeah. Just notice, you know, how many fundamental ideas we have in that Pasuk as explained by Rashi. We have the idea of Scharva Onesh, there's a reward and there's a punishment. And if you uh, sin, there's a consequence. We have the idea of teshuva, that you can change your past. You can remove the sins by doing teshuva. If you don't do teshuva, there will always be a judgment. We have the idea of din, the cheshbon, that you will have to give a judgment at the end of your life. And we have the idea of free will. The atatim shalbo, as Rashi explains, im olav, is the fundamental Description, the fundamental statement of you have free will. And that's what he's saying to Cain. You know, Cain is all miserable. Cain is um, enmeshed in sin. Cain can't get out of this vicious circle that he's in. And Hashem so he didn't bother to bring a nice offering. Hashem responded by not being nice to the not nice offering, which made Cain even more cross. And, and we know from our own experience, and perhaps other people whom we come into contact with, that if you, they can't even see why things happen. They can't understand that certain things are a consequence of their own negative actions. Then they have no hope of getting out of that vicious cycle. And Hashem is saying, you have the power. You can rule over it. So an absolutely fundamental expla- explanation, expression of key Jewish ideas here at the very, very beginning of the Torah. And in a very hard pasuk, which is hard to understand. What happened next? Pasuk Chet. Did Cain get the message? Did Cain do Teshuvah? Well, let's see. Pasuk Chet. Vayomer Cain el Hevel Achiv. Cain said to Hevel his brother, Vayhibiotam basader, and it was while they were in the field, Vayokam Cain el Hevel Achiv. Cain arose to Hevel his brother, Vayahargehu. And he killed him. So it looks like Cain didn't really get the message. Didn't really mend his ways. And there you go. 25% of the world's population wiped out. <laughs> now, what's missing in the Pasuk? What he said. Vayomer Cain el Hevel Achiv. Now, there could have been an alternative word instead of Vayomer, which would not have had a problem. What's the alternative word? Vayedaber. If it had said he spoke... What's the difference between the way we use the word speak and the way we use the word say? Saying needs what he said. Hevel, Cain said to Hevel, good morning, or good afternoon, or something. You can't say Cain said to Hevel, nothing. But you can say Cain spoke to Hevel without saying what he spoke about. But it doesn't say spoke, it says said. Just by the way, this is a Rashi share. I don't bring you now the Mephoshim, but I must share with you the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra says, Cain said to Hevel, what Hashem had just said to Cain, which, as I heard years ago, somebody explained to me this way. So often, the rabbi gives a fantastic Musa drasha, and somebody sitting in the audience says, that is such an important Musa message. I must go and tell it to so-and-so. That's unfortunately often our reaction. You sit and you hear Musa, and you think, yeah, I hope she gets it. I hope he gets it. 
And that's pretty much what the Ibn Ezra says, Kain did. Hashem gives him this message about the shuvah and free will, and he says, ah, I'm going to tell Kain. I'm going to tell Hevel. But anyway, that's not what Rashi says. Look what Rashi says. Vayomakain. Nichnas imo bedivre riv umatza. He entered with him in words of quarrel and argument. Lahit alel alav lahargo. To find an excuse on him to kill him. It's a brilliant Rashi. Because Rashi explains why the Torah doesn't say what Kain said. Because it wasn't relevant. Because it had no purpose. The actual words, they could have been good morning, they could have been afternoon, they could have been who knows what. It doesn't matter. Because all he was doing was finding an excuse to kill him. The words themselves were totally insignificant. That's why the Torah doesn't mention what the words are. That's how Rashi explains it. So, he entered with him in some sort of conversation, but they were divrei riv v'matza lahit alel, to find an excuse to kill him. Yes? No, it's more than that. Could have said, the question is, could it have just said vayidaber? It has to say, it has to be something missing. That's the point. If it had said vayidaber, we wouldn't have noticed what's missing. We wouldn't have known what he said. But it wouldn't have been bolate, it wouldn't have stood out that there's something missing. The whole point, as Rashi explains it, is the Torah is structured in a way we would expect it to tell us what it said, but it doesn't, because the words are insignificant. And then he kills him. And then Rashi says, There are in this uh, narrative midrashim, but this is the settlement of the text. This is the simple meaning of the text. This is a comment. You got a different text there? Lehit Golel. Lehit Golel. And I've got Lehit Olel. So, okay. Lehit Golel is to roll on. It means the same thing. It's interesting, but there is a different girsa. So Lehit Golel is to roll on an excuse, like to, to, to make an excuse roll on him, if you like. I think Lehit Olel sound makes a bit more sense, but there is a text that says Lehit Golel. Okay. Um, I, I mentioned the other day that Rashi sometimes says this, and I said to, uh, I haven't got a reason, I haven't seen anyone systematically explain why he says it at times. It, it's, Rashi says, shamikra. he said that in Perigimel Pasachet and in many other places, and I don't need Midrashim, unless they're ones which are Yeshuv HaMikra, to, to settle the meaning of the text. And here he's saying there are Midrashim which don't settle the meaning of the text. So it's, it's curious why he even mentions that. The best that one can say, and I'm not totally satisfied by this, is he's telling you that there are Midrashim which are not shut, but they're worth looking at. They're worth looking at. Now, again, I'm, I'm still not satisfied with that, because really that, that applies to every Midrash. Every Midrash is worth looking at. But Rashi sometimes tells you that there's particular, if you like, benefits you can get from looking at the Midrash. What does the Midrash say? Or what does a Midrash say? Because there's always more than one. So there's a Midrash that gives three possible things that Kain and Hevel were arguing about. One, version, one, one idea is that they were argue, they divided the world between them. One took the land, the ground, and the other took the movables. Whereupon uh, the one who took the movables said, uh, sorry, the one who took the ground said to the other, get off my ground. And the one who took the movable said, give me back the clothes that you're wearing. So they didn't, and then they had a fight and then they kind of killed Hevel. The second idea is that they divided the world geographically between them. 
And then they were arguing about where the Bet Migdash would be built, in Hevel's place or in Cain's place. And the third answer is that the, we already mentioned that Rashi mentioned that there was a twin sister born with Cain and Hevel, but with Hevel there was a second twin sister born. And obviously Cain married his twin sister and Hevel married his twin sister, and the question was, who gets the spare sister? Yes, it was like that. So this Midrash is basically saying that they were arguing either about money or they were arguing about religion or they were arguing about basic human instincts. And so that's what Rashi says, I think, is, is interesting, but it's not Peshat. The simple Peshat is they weren't talking about anything of significance, but just an excuse to get into a fight, as we saw. So now, Pasuk Tet, the most famous question in the Chumash. Vayoma Hashem El Kain Hevel Achicha. And Hashem said to Cain, where is Hevel, your brother? And he said, Lo yadati, I do not know. Am I the keeper of my brother? Just, just by the way, the Sefer Bereshit is full of dysfunctional families, of brothers not getting on. From Cain and Hevel to uh, Ishmael and... Uh, no, before that, well, Abraham and his brothers... They don't fight, but they don't really get on. Yishmael and Yitzchak, Yaakov and Esav, the brothers of Yosef. But, again, this isn't Rashi, but it's worth saying, who answers Cain's question? Do you know who answers Cain's question? Yehuda. Because Yehuda says to Yaakov, when Yaakov is reluctant to let Binyamin go down to Mitzrayim, because the one we know is Yosef, but they don't know it's Yosef, has demanded that Binyamin come down, and Yaakov doesn't want to let Binyamin go. And Yehuda says, Anochi arev lacha. Uh, no, sorry, I will guarantee him. And if I don't bring him back, I'm the one who's liable, and I'll be punished. And that, in a sense, at the end of the book of Bereshit, is the answer to Cain's question at the beginning of the book of Bereshit. Hashom achi anochi, am I my brother's keeper? The Torah answers with a resounding yes. Anyway, let's look at Rashi. Says, says Rashi on the words of Hashem, Ei hevel achicha, lehikaneis imo bedivrei nachat, olai yashiv, to enter with him in soft words, maybe he will um, do teshuva, um, v'yomar, and he will say, ani haragtiv, I killed him, v'chatati lacha, and I have sinned against you. We have seen this before because Hashem made this, sorry, Rashi made this point when, when Hashem said to Adam, remember his question? Ayeka, where are you? And that was Gimel Pasuk Tet. And Rashi there made the comment and we looked at it in some detail and Rashi brought three other places in Tanakh where Hashem or Anavi asks a question to which he must know the answer. And that is Rashi's problem here. Why does Hashem ask any question? Hashem is omniscient. Hashem knows every answer. So what does it mean when he says, And therefore Rashi says, To enter with him in words, soft words. Now we talked about the fact that the, word, the Rashi's comment here is not exactly the same as Adam, the Rashi's comment on Hashem's question to Adam. Uh, and basically... Adam uh, is given more sort of a positive chance in the words of Rashi than 
uh, Kain is, because Kain is worse, basically. But we've talked about that before. Um, I think you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. Um, so I'm not going to go through all that again now. So the question, I mean, what I'm referring to is the fact that even though it's really the same answer to our question, why does Hashem ask a question to which he already knows the answer? Why does Rashi give a slightly different response or explanation in the case of Adam as he does in Kain? But we talked about that when we learned it the first time. Bye-bye. Yes. Um, you'd be questioning, but how... Did Cain know not to kill Heather? There was, there was no concept of mitzvah, or were there concept of mitzvah at this time? Like when it says chatati lacha, how do you know he sinned before he? How do you know Cain sinned before Hashem? Um, that's an interesting question, and that's basically um, no. It's not really well. No, it's not really Cain's defense. Um, I. Can we just hold that a minute? Can we, can, I, 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 I'm formulating what I'm going to say. Um, I've got something in mind which is not Rashi, which is why I'm going... We'll bring it up in a moment. Okay. Rashi says... So, on the words, Lo Yodati, Naser Kogonev Dat Ha'elyona. He became, or he made himself, like one who steals the mind of Hashem. What's Rashi explaining? Why, what do we need an explanation for? Naser kagonev dat eliona. He became like one who steals the mind of the... Gonev dat, I'm trying to say it probably too literally. We're familiar with the concept of gneva dat, which is misleading. Taking Hashem's role in a sense by killing someone, that's Hashem's... No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's... Gonev dat is like gneva dat, misleading. So he's lying to Hashem. That's the point. Now... We can, we can speculate about what knowledge did Adam and Chava and Cain and Hevel have of Hashem. It sounds like a pretty good one. After all, Hashem speaks directly to Adam and Chava, and he speaks directly to Cain. He's just had a whole conversation with Cain. So even though Cain wasn't very good in many respects, he had a tremendous connection with Hashem. I think we have to call him a Navi. And therefore, presumably, he would know that Hashem will know the truth. So the question becomes, why is Cain lying? And that Rashi doesn't really give an answer, but he's saying that Cain had the chutzpah to act as if he is gonev dat, which I will translate not literally, but as misleading ha'elyona, Hashem himself. By the way, it's ke gonev dat. It's not gonev dat, because nobody really can mislead Hashem. So Rashi doesn't say he became somebody misleading Hashem, because that's impossible. But it's as if he was misleading Hashem. Um, Rashi's not very positive about Kain. You might have noticed that. From the, from the time that he brought Min HaGurua, the inferior quality produce, through what Hashem says to him and his response after that and what he's doing now. And the other Mephoshim see Kain as more contrite at this point. And in particular, um, when we get to Pasuk uh, Yud Gimel, which if we, we won't get to that today, but next week, um, there are other opinions. So Rashi has got it in for Kain. He says he's, like, he's really bad. He's got no redeeming features at all. Others say he has. But here Rashi is saying, um, he says because he's got the chutzpah to try and mislead Hashem. And then he says, Rashi says on the words, Hashoma achi anochi, Loshon teima hu. What is Loshon teima hu? This is a question. Now, 
people might be familiar with the words of Rashi on the Gemara. Rashi often says Tema on the Gemara because the Gemara doesn't have uh, question marks. It's not always clear to see what's an interrogative. So Rashi sometimes has to tell you this clause it's not to be read as Rabbi Yochanan says this, but it's Rabbi Yochanan says this, question mark. It's tamer. It's a question. Now, I said that about the Gemara. It doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have punctuation. But for that matter, Hebrew does not have, classical Hebrew doesn't really have an interrogative. It doesn't have a question form. So the only way you know it's a question is by the intonation. So I wasn't joking when I said, you know, you can either say Rabbi Yochanan says this or Rabbi Yochanan says this. That's how you say in classical Hebrew, that's how you make it a question. But there's a little bit more to it than that because there is the hey ha interrogative or the hey ha she'ela, depending on which type of classical Hebrew grammar you use. So the hey ha interrogative is this one. And Rashi says, Loshon Temahu, and I'll go back to Rashi because he gives a little bit of grammar here. Every hay which has the vowel of a chataf patach. And if you look there, it's not a patach, it's a chataf patach. So how else might you have read it? You might have read it as the hay, uh, the definite article. In which case, well, it, you couldn't because it's the wrong grammar. That would have to have a, a patach, not a chataf patach, and it would have to have a dagesh in the shin following the hey if it's the definite article. And it has neither, so it's a question. Now, um, the reason I sort of got myself tied up before is I was thinking, um, there's a certain member of this community who often quotes, I think it was Rabbi Pinchuk, who I think was the first Rosh Kolel of the uh, Torah Metzion here, and he re- said, you can read it as follows, Lo yodati hashoma achi anochi. I did not know that I am my brother's keeper. And that's very nice and poetic. I don't think it's right. Kavodo um, bimkomo. Because, first of all, the trop clearly distinct. There's a pause after loyodati. And hashome achi anochi is another clause. And secondly, Rashi says, it's not, I did not know that I am the keeper of my brother. It's, I did not know. And hashome achi anochi must start a new question. So, um, therefore, I say, the answer to your question, how, did, how do we expect kind to know? I think from the fact that that's not explicitly answered, we are learning that there is something intrinsically wrong about murder. And by being a human being, you should know that it's wrong to murder people. That a kind should be born with the knowledge that you don't murder people, least of all your own brother. Uh, because you ask a good question. Hashem never says, um, here's a list of mitzvah. Having said that, it occurs to me, the Gemara, we've talked about this before, says that the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach were actually given to Adam. Uh, they're called B'nai Noach because we only learn about them after the Mabul and they're given explicitly, or more or less explicitly, in Pasha's Noach. But the Gemara says they had been given uh, to Adam and Cain and Hevel. So maybe somewhere Hashem has commanded him. Or you can say, as I just said, either way, that it should be intrinsic, that you don't murder people. Yes? So, sorry, first kind of brings this, like, inanimate um, offering? offering? Not inanimate, but not good. Right, well, but it is, it's like produce. And then... Yes. Hevel brings an animal, like, could kind just potentially be trying to, like, one-up his brother? Like, oh, you brought an animal sacrifice, I can bring a human sacrifice.
is another sacrifice for God. So he's trying to say, okay, so my, my inferior produce sacrifice didn't quite cut it. I'll offer a human. Yeah. Um, I've never seen that before. It's definitely not Rashi. Um, but it's an interesting thought that we could perhaps run with. Um, there isn't a suggestion that... Uh, there, there's, no, there's no hint in the text that it's an offering. That he... I don't know how it would be expressed, that he kind then offered it to God. What? Vehu. he sacrificed him. As in maybe that, yeah. And you could explain that away, that like, you'd, like we obviously don't condone that sort of behaviour. Yeah, no, well, there's a lot of things about that kind that we don't condone. I mean, I, I hear it, it's an interesting thought, and, 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 and certainly if I, I mean, say this not, not in a negative sense, it's a good Russia, I'm not sure it's clear, it's there in the text. Um, yes. Dati, and you, and... Pinchuk said, I, I did not know I was my brother's keeper. Yes. Doesn't that work? I don't know. I'm using modern Hebrew and I don't know if it's at all related, but like, it wouldn't be like a lawyer there, not lawyer dati, because I did not know. You can't say, I did not know where he is because you do know, like, it's in, in the name. I, yeah. Lawyer dati, Hashaman, makes It seems to run, I guess, better than. I don't know what else it could be. I don't know. I do. Uh, look, I, I, I can't speak for a Pinchuk. And uh, I don't want to get too bogged down in a different opinion. Um, I, I, I do know this, that classical Hebrew uses the present tense much more rarely than modern Hebrew does. Strictly speaking, Hebrew doesn't have a present tense. How do you say I'm writing? Anikotev. But actually that means I am a writer. And that's why it only has male, female, singular, plural. It doesn't have the proper six pronoun conjugation. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, so strictly speaking, Hebrew does not have a present tense. And that is why you rarely see it in the, in the Chumash. So maybe lo yodati is good enough. I did not know. Yeah, it could be. Okay, let's move on. We've just got, no, we've got a bit more time. And we're coming to a very famous comment of Rashi. Pasig Yud. Vayomer, Hashem said, Me'asita, what have you done? Kol demei achicha, so Akim Eli Min Ha'adama. What have you done? The voice of the blood, or maybe we'll translate that differently in a moment, of your brother cries out to me from the ground. Okay, very powerful statement, often quoted, but look at Rashi. Damei Achicha. So he brings two explanations. And the first is Damo Vedam Zeraotav. His blood and the blood of his descendants. Let's go to the second explanation, then we'll come back and explain. Another explanation. He made in him, Cain made in Hevel, lots of wounds. Because he did not know from where the soul goes out. So what's Rashi answering? In both possible answers. Anyone? Demei, bloods of your brother. Because it should have said, Dam achicha, the blood of your brother. Why bloods? So it gives two possible answers. And the first is, when you kill someone, you kill their potential descendants. And the second answer is, there were lots of blood wounds. So yes, it was one person's blood, but there were lots of different trails of blood. Now, it's interesting. What do we have to do when Rashi brings two explanations? 
well, we have to understand what's the deficiency in either. I must say, the muscular David is the, is the normal go-to place for, for this sort of question. And on this one, he says, you know what? They're both pretty schwach. <laughs> He's not <laughs> impressed with either of them. But you could say the, uh, the problem with the first is that in the second of the next Pasuk, the next Pasuk says, uh, in Pasuk Yudalaf, I'll just say it very, very quickly, when we get there, there's a lot of work to do. He says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which opened its mouth, Now, it says bloods of your brother, but it doesn't say anything about his descendants. Uh, that's what one of the Mephoshim say, but as I'm saying it, I realize if means your brother and his descendants in Pasuk Yud, then it could have been that in Pasuk Yudalaf as well. Okay. Um, I, I, I would say something else, which you also see in, inside in, in the Mephoshim, is that it's a little bit of a stretch to say that he's killing him and his descendants, because he's not. And we never, you know, um, when we uh, regard the punishment for murder, we don't say that a murderer has killed a person and all their descendants at Sofa Olam until the end of the world. We don't normally say that. He didn't kill more than one person. That's possibly one answer. Uh, the problem with the second Bashat, I mean, again, there's, there's many ways you can uh, explain this, is it's all the same blood. It's the blood of his brother, even if it comes out in different places. What's the difference between, like, one revere of blood, which has got lots of molecules in it, in, it comes out from one wound, and a revere of blood that comes out from lots of different wounds? It's really still dam achicha. So there's problems with, with both. But Rashi feels that you need both, perhaps because there are problems with both, to explain Demei Achicha. And that's all that Rashi says on that verse. So we'll go on to Pasuk Yudalaf. Now, Hashem says in response to Cain. Now, uh, by the way, you can, you can look for a progression or a, a, a digression. Um, Adam and Chava sin, they get punished. Next generation, Cain sins, he gets punished. Then the whole world sins at the end of Bereshit, they get punished in, the, in Parashat Noach. There's a, uh, it really goes downhill from, from creation. Um, and then the second, then the world 2.0, which is after the flood, doesn't work very well either until you come to Mark 3. What's Mark 3? When Hashem says, I'm not going to like, try and make the entire world perfect. Instead, this is Rob Hirsch, by the way, what am I going to do? One nation. One nation. I'll have a special relationship with one nation, and through them, we'll redeem the world. That's us, by the way, just in case you <laughs> Okay, so here we are on the second level of cursing. Hashem says to Cain, Ata min ha'adama. You are now, now you are cursed from the ground. Asher patsta et piha, which opened its mouth, Lakachat et demeachicha, to take the blood, bloods of your brother, miyadecha, from your hand. And I think, because we're probably not going to finish this tonight, I just want to read the next passage as well. Kitaavod et haadama, because when you, sorry, when you work the land, lo tosef tate kocha, it will not continue to give its strength, lach, to you. And then there's something else. Navanati abaaretz, you'll be a stranger and an exile in the land that that really is well as Rashi puts it that's a separate thing so the curse relates to the ground that's said explicitly in Yud Aleph the ground did something wrong by opening its mouth to take the blood and or therefore what will what how will you see that 
when you work the ground, it won't give you its strength. So let's look at Rashi on Yud Aleph. Min ha'adama, yoter mima shenit kalala hi kavar ba'ovana. More than it was already cursed with its sin. Now, when was the ground cursed? What do you mean with the snake? Huh? With Adam. Uh, with Adam's curse. What was the nature of Adam's curse? What, what happens? That you'll plant nice food and you'll get thorns and thistles. And then you will get lechem, but bezata percha, with the sweat of your brow. You'll have to work really hard. So two things, we won't go back there, but number one, it will grow the wrong stuff. And number two, you'll have to work really hard to get anything out of it. So says Rashi, it's going to be cursed more because of, or through its sin. Um, now, it's a problem to understand what is its sin. There's a hay, duckish hay, at the end, so it's clearly its sin. Um, what does it mean, its sin? So presumably, Rashi means the sin that the ground did now. So now the ground is sinning. What's the ground sin? Took in the blood. So Rashi doesn't say this, by the way. Uh, he spells it out. The reason I'm saying this is because the next words of Rashi. Uh, and also with this, it continued to sin. It was already cursed, but now it continued to sin. And then Rashi gives us the words, It opened its mouth to take the blood of your brother. There's a Midrash that says, um, normally, if blood goes into the ground, you can just still see it there. It leaves a Roshem, it leaves an effect on the surface of the ground. But the ground, this time, absorbed the blood uh, more than it needed to. And that's patsta et piha. Rashi doesn't say that, but he says that the, the ground was sinning and patsta et piha is the sin. So that implies that opening its mouth is more than just the normal blood draining away. Uh, and then he says, sifla klala lecha. And I add a sin to you. Sorry, I add to it a sin for you. Lo tosef tate kocha. It will not continue to give its strength. Now Rashi's here commenting on Yud Aleph, but he referred, he, he's quoting there from Yud Bet because you have to understand what the curse is. So it's already been cursed in the time of Adam. And now it's going to give more curse because it sinned more. So you've been, you've been bad, but really the focus at this stage is that the ground's been bad and therefore the ground's cursed and you will suffer from that. By the way, that lotus safe tate koach apparently is that it will only apply to kind. Everyone else will grow without that curse. Um, but nevertheless, the curse to kind comes through the ground, which is fitting because the ground is which has, has sinned. Just one more thing to finish this off. Rashi tells us uh, what is the additional curse. And he tells us that it's different and additional from the curse of the ground as far as Adam was concerned. And that's why I remind you to what the curse of the ground for Adam was. That was that... Uh, it'll grow the wrong things and you'll have to work hard to make it grow. Now, the ground itself will not even give to kind its full strength. So that's why the, the words of is an additional curse because it's now something that didn't happen in Adam's time. It's extra. It's not only will the ground produce the wrong things and only with a lot of work, but it won't even give the full strength, presumably the full fertility that the ground would give up till now. Um, I think we should stop there. And next time in Yitzhashem, we will start with Pasuk Yud Bet.